0: Now, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 37 and Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, the two passages we're looking at today primarily are in Genesis 37 and Romans chapter 8. Last week, we started a new series called Dreamer. And the idea behind this series is that for every person, God has a dream for you and a destiny that he is calling you to. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God had a plan for you that you would fulfill through Christ Jesus. He made you to be someone who goes out and fulfills the Great Commission. We are supposed to make disciples and he has a particular way that he has called you to do that. Now, A lot of people don't have a dream or a vision for their life and the reason for that is because the only way you can find out what God wants you to do with your life is by listening to God. If you don't listen to God, you can't expect him to speak to you what it is that he has planned out for you. So the first step to knowing what God's destiny is for you and the dream that he has for your life is that you have to spend time with him, listen to him, worship, pray, read your scripture, create quiet times in your life where you have the opportunity not just to speak to God, but allow him to speak back to you. And in those moments, God will deposit a vision inside of your heart for what he's called you to do. And sometimes there's seasons for things in life and will change here and there. So that's why it's so important to continue to create those moments of where you can hear the voice of God speaking to you. But then a lot of people will get vision for their life and they'll have a dream that they live with but they just continue to live with the dream and never actually living in the destiny that they were called to. And the reason for that is because before you can walk into the fullness of what God has for you, you have to go through a series of tests that will develop your heart and enable you and prepare you to walk fully into God's destiny for you. And we're looking at the life and the story of Joseph as uh, a man who God gave an incredible vision to and he's someone that was pursuing God and he went through a, a series of tests that then enabled him to walk into the fullness of God's destiny for him. Last week, we talked about the pride test. God gave him an incredible vision, an incredible dream like he does to all of us and it will either make your head really puffed up so you can't fit through doorways and think you're better than everybody and that's the pride test. If you do that, you failed it. But if you recognize that God's called you to serve other people and to humble yourself, to be a blessing to others, then you've passed the pride test. Joseph did not pass the pride test, which fast-tracked him to the next test, which is the pit test. Now, when you ask me what is the pit test, it's when you're thrown in a pit. It's, it doesn't sound very nice. It's not very nice. But when you, there's why we say, oh, man, my life is in the pits. That's what it's talking about. We've all been there at times. If you haven't been, I'm here to encourage you and say you will find yourself in a pit at some point in your life. And we don't like to think about the pit test. You don't look at the dream that God's given you and say, I just can't wait until I'm just thrown in that pit and I feel like everything is hopeless and giving up. That's how I know my dream's really coming true. But that's a part of our destiny. And the reason we don't do that is because we're really overly romantical about everything in our life. I would say following God's plan for for your dream and the destiny he's called you to, and your idea of how you get there is a lot like how you used to view marriage before you got married. I love dreamers. Uh, I love it when you're meeting with someone, I'm doing marriage counseling, and you're talking, and you're trying to, to help them say, You know, marriage is an endurance race. You, you persevere, you have to work on sacrificial forgiveness and love and elevating the other person above yourself. And it's, it's a struggle at times, but don't quit. Don't give up. Just keep pressing on, asking God to move on your heart and to change it so you can love each other. And they're like, oh no, Pastor Jeremy, we're in love. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you, you know, you guys, they're like, oh, you all are just ignorant. You don't understand the love that we have for each other. It's, it's a burning love that no water can quench this fire. And they're just so perfect. We will never fight. We're not like everybody else. We're the only people in the whole world that have ever really truly been in love. And I start scheduling post-marriage counseling for them right away, <laughs> preemptively. Because all you know, these people are in for a rude awakening. And I was like that when Ann and I got married. You know, here's the thing. The wedding day happens. We got married on a Friday. And it was awesome. Your friends and your family are there. I've never looked better. I'm wearing a tux and I got my hair all done nicely. And I'm strutting around. Got my friends with me and family. There's music. It's magical. The food's awesome. You have your bride there with you. And you're like, this is the best thing ever. We're just going to plow into God's plans for our life and we're going to be the example to the whole world of how a man and a woman should love each other. And we're never going to struggle. We're never going to fall or fail. And then Saturday morning came. Now see, we weren't leaving for our honeymoon until Sunday, so we had Saturday to get our house set up and our house had nothing in it. We got occupancy permit for our house on Friday. I went from the inspection to the chapel to get married. So there's nothing in our house. I had some friends take a bed over and like a bottle of water. And so, you know, Saturday morning we wake up and there's no food and there's no music anymore. And it's just us. And it's like, all right, well, I'm kind of hungry. So what do you say we go get some food? So we go shopping. And if you know me, I hate shopping so much. I wear the same clothes for years and years. People say it doesn't fit you anymore or it's out of style. I don't care. I didn't go shopping. I'm going to wear these clothes till I die or they fall off my body. But I had to go because I was so hungry. And we go and we get romantic things like toilet bowl cleaner and sandwich bags and ant poison. You know, the stuff you need to actually have a house and to live. And we're sitting there and it's evening now. We've spent the whole day trying to organize the house and the first little tensions arise. You're trying to put dishes in the, the cupboards and you're like, oh, that's where you think they should go? I think they should go over here. Oh, that you put the fork on the left side of the spoons in the drawer? No, no, no. That's. Oh, were you raised in a barn? <laughs> What's going on here? And so I'm sitting there, and I've just. I'm frustrated because I'm trying to assemble a TV stand from Walmart that's missing three pieces, and I'm not good at assembling stuff, anyways. And like we're sitting there in the living room on the floor because we don't have any furniture, and we just started crying. <laughs> so we're like. This is life now. We're married. We're adults. This is, we're going to have to pay bills. And like, this isn't, where'd all my friends and family go? Where's the food? Where's the wedding dress and the tux and all that stuff? And like, reality just hit us. We had our first struggle 24 hours after we said, I do, and promised to love each other forever. Now the next day, we went on our honeymoon. We went to Fantasyland again and it was awesome. A week later, we came back and we sat on the floor again because we still had no furniture and we cried again. (laughs) But, through perseverance, through continuing to humble ourselves before each other and before God, through the tough times, through the good times, we've been through tough things. Like there has been a hard, I mean, there's been great moments in our life. Like when your kids are born, oh, what a magical moment. What a blessing that is. But there's really hard times in marriage too. Like when your kids are born. <laughs> and they just cry and they cry and you don't get to sleep anymore. You know, going through deaths in the family and, and periods of incredible selfishness and hardness of heart towards each other. But we didn't quit. And we allowed God to come into the equation and now next year we'll be celebrating 10 years of marriage. And I love her more now than I ever have. And that's the way that it works. You have a dream and a destiny that God's called you to and it's the same way. You have this romantic view of how you're going to walk into the destiny and everything's going to be daisies and roses and there's going to be leprechauns with pots of gold. Life is going to be awesome. But the reality is, is that if you have a dream given to you from God and a destiny that he's called you to, Your dream will land you in a pit. Joseph discovered this in Genesis 37, verses 18 through 36. It says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in it, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone and I with him. Where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in his blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, which is another word for pit or for death, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now in this story, I think this is really blindsided Joseph. This is one of those things that he never saw coming. I imagine as he's going out there to check on his brothers, he's still thinking about like, I'm God's chosen one, I'm super special, I'm awesome. And he has no idea what's about to happen to him. And his brothers, when they they capture him, and they're going to kill him, they throw him in a pit and then sell him off as a slave. And Joseph, as he's sitting in the pit and as he's being carried off in the caravan as a slave, he has to be thinking, "What, what has just happened? God just gave me this incredible dream. I saw a vision of the destiny that he had laid out for me. And now I'm sitting here in a pit, waiting to die. Now I'm being carried off as a slave into Egypt. God, what happened? This wasn't a part of the dream. This chapter wasn't in your best life now. Like, how could this be? God, have you failed me? Or maybe you start thinking then, have, was I wrong? Maybe this wasn't the dream or the destiny that God's called me to. Maybe that was just me. Because if this is what God's called me to, then how can I see this playing out in my life? Now, while we won't all be sold off into slavery by Midianites, before you can walk into your destiny, you have to go through the pit test. And how you respond in the pit will either develop the character, the strength, and the reliance in God that you will need to see your dreams become reality, or in the pit, it will cause you to give up on the dream and to quit your destiny. And whenever anything bad happens, we're always trying to assign blame to and figure out what's happened. So we look at the story of Joseph and say, well, how did he end up in the pit? Was it his fault? And he's wearing that robe. That's how they identified him. He's wearing that stupid robe around, rubbing it in people's faces. He knew they hated him. He was a tattletale. There isn't a good relationship going on. He's still strutting around in his robe of many colors, rubbing it in their face that he's the favorite son. So yeah, he kind of stirred up their jealousy and put himself in a bad place. Or we're and say, is this because of someone else? Is Joseph in the pit because of the actions of someone else? And yeah, that's partially true too. It doesn't matter how big of a jerk someone is. You don't kill them, throw them in pits, and sell them off into slavery. His brothers were wrong. And then there's also just natural things that happen as a result of living in a fallen world. There's sickness. Death. There's The economy does things that you weren't planning on. It. You can lose your job. Your family falls apart. There are things that because we live in a sinful, fallen world, things happen that can result in us being thrown into a pit. But what really happens is it's not so much these decisions that we can assign blame to, but the real reason that we end up in pits is because our dreams are violently opposed by Satan. You see, Satan doesn't want you to live out God's dream for your life. You walking into God's destiny for you is bad news for him because God's called you to be someone who sets captives free. He's called you to be someone that goes out and brings healing to the lost, to the broken, to the sick. He's called you to be someone that goes out to the people that are the farthest from God, those without hope, and tell them that there is a God who loves them, that Jesus died on a cross for their sins so that they could be reconciled and restored to the Father and they can receive the love that God has to give them. They can receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God continues to advance all over the face of the earth when you will live out your life in the fullness of God's destiny for you. So Satan is going to do everything that he can to stop you from that. And when you are in a pit, Satan is going to try to kill your dreams and to give you the exact opposite of what you dreamed about. What did the brothers say? They said, let's kill this dreamer and see what becomes of his dreams. That's their plan. They want to stop his dream at all costs. So what Satan does, using every opportunity, he says, Joseph's making a bad decision. Yes, we'll use that. His brothers are making a bad decision, so I'll use that. And he'll use any natural consequence of anything else that happens on the earth as a way to to put you in a pit as well. He takes advantage of every opportunity that is given him to keep you from your destiny. And so the brothers, they decide they don't want to kill him. But what they do is they throw him into a pit instead. Now remember, what's Joseph's dream? I'm going to be elevated over my family. They're going to come and they're going to bow down to me, showing that he's going to have authority over his family. That's not the dream you should tell your family. That's something you write in your journal and you keep in your heart. So what do the brothers do? They throw him in a pit. You say, they say, you thought you were going to be exalted over us? We're going to throw you down under us. You thought that you were going to have authority over our family? We're going to sell you off as a slave. You won't have authority over anybody. Not, you won't even have any relationship with your family. You will be cut off from your family. You won't, have, you won't rule over anybody. You will be ruled over by all people. You will be the lowest of the low. You will become someone's property. You will be subjected to all people. You will be mistreated by everybody. The exact opposite of his dream is what's becoming his reality now. And when you're in a pit, it looks like the dream is dead. It looks like the destiny that is going to be played out in your life is the opposite of the dream that God gave you. So if God's given you a dream for your marriage, a destiny he's called you to together as a couple, and the love that you're going to have for each other, what's going to happen? The pit for you is going to be that there's going to be incredible struggle and turmoil in your marriage. It's going to look like the opposite of a healthy relationship. If you have a dream for your family that God's given you, if you're going to raise up children, they're going to be passionate about following the Lord and walking in his ways. He's going to attack your children. Your kids will get sick. It won't look like they're going to grow up to be world changers. They won't follow the Lord. There'll be periods of rebellion inside of their life and it'll look like these kids aren't going to be serving the Lord. They're they're serving the enemy. They're as far from God as could possibly be. He might give you a ministry idea that he wants you to follow. And you'll think, all right, I'm gonna start this ministry. I'm gonna reach hundreds or thousands of people. And you start the ministry up, and you have one person, two people there. You're you're losing people. You're thinking, how am I gonna affect thousands when I'm losing people every single time we get together? For you, maybe God's given you a business idea for something He wants you to do. You know what's gonna happen? You'll start your business, and instead of having a great business and lots of people wanting what you have to offer, there's gonna be nobody there. That's gonna be your pit. And then you know what's gonna happen? Is the next pit will come along, it's gonna be all sudden. Everybody wants your business, and you're overwhelmed and you're completely swamped. Whatever the dream is and the destiny is that God's called you to, you are going to see the opposite of that played out. And it will make you think that the dream is dead. And when you are in a pit, you will feel trapped, you won't see any hope. And the reason for that is because Satan tells you lies to keep you in the pit. What did Jesus call Satan? The father of lies. That's what he does. He lies to you over and over again. He will never speak anything truthful to you. And what Satan does is because he can't cancel out God's call on your life, because he can't physically stop you from walking into your destiny, he tries to make you give up on the destiny by lying to you, by stealing hope from you, making you feel like you weren't qualified, that you've disqualified yourself somehow, that someone else has put up a barrier that now you can't pass or, or something horrible has happened and now there's insurmountable obstacles that are blocking you from walking into the destiny that God's called you to. He will make you think that the dream is impossible. But it's all lies. He'll produce evidence, though. This is one of the amazing things about saying this. Is he'll come to you and he'll tell you lies, but he won't just lie to you. Is He will bring you evidence that will support the lies that he brings. But the evidence that he brings is always false evidence. Yeah. Even the evidence is a lie. When you look at what happened with Jacob, the brothers come to him, they, they manufacture evidence. They take the robe off of him, they tear it up, they dip it in blood, they take it to Jacob, their father, and they're like, hey, can, do you know whose this is? And so he sees this false evidence and in his mind he comes up with, my dream is done. My favorite son is gone. The vision that I had for his life, the destiny that I had called to, my family has been torn apart. And now I'm going to continue to spend the rest of my life in incredible mourning until the day I myself die and go to be with my son. You know what the problem was though? That was false evidence. Joseph was alive. Satan didn't even say he's dead. He just presented evidence to whom that was false. Now I see this happen all the time, especially I'm talking a lot about marriage today, but hey, I'm married. So um, what happens when I'm, I'm counseling with people, a lot of times they're having marital difficulties. And I'll be like, well, you know, what's going on? And they say, well, you know, I also don't think this marriage is gonna work. And I'm like, well, why? And the evidence for why their marriage isn't going to work, they say, "Well, oh, we're just opposite people." Yeah, opposites attract. That's, of course, you you married someone that's not like you. If you married you, why why would you get married? You don't need another you. You're bad enough by yourself. Two of you's twice as bad. God brought you someone to balance you out and make you a better person. You don't. And I'm always shocked by that. You know how I know you're married to the right person? You married them. That makes them the right person that God has called you to be married to, but Satan produces a false evidence to them that says, "Oh, they're opposite. Oh my goodness, they're opposite to me. This is doom. This isn't going to work. The dream is dead. The destiny is over. I'm just going to abandon my marriage." But it's a lie. That's what Satan does. He lies over and over and over again. But what you need to know is even if you find yourself in that place where you've believed the false evidence that Satan has given you to keep you in the pit, to keep you feeling hopeless, giving up on the dream and accepting a destiny that's opposite of what God talked to you about, you need to know that dreams don't die with God. He doesn't kill dreams. He's the God of resurrection. He's the God who restores the dream to you even after you've bought the lie. All the evidence Satan will present to you is false evidence to make you believe a lie that will keep you in the pit. You need to reject the lies of Satan and you need to believe the truth which is God will deliver you from the pit. David knew what it was like to be in a pit. King David, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, as a young little sheep herding boy, he was a nobody. Most people, scholars, think that he wasn't even a legitimate son of Jesse so he had him out herding sheep away from the family. And the prophet Samuel comes and anoints him as the next king over Israel. That's the dream. All of a sudden he's like, this is my destiny. And God speaks to David and says that you will reign throughout your whole life. That every person for all generations afterwards will have a ruler from your line that rules over them. That's an incredible promise. So what happens to David? The current wicked king keeps trying to kill him. There's a time when his wife has to lower him out of the window in the palace because the king's trying to come and kill him. The king's always calling David to come play his little harp for him. He'll be sitting there playing his harp and he'll just chuck a spear at him. David has to run away. He keeps coming back. They keep chucking spears and he keeps running away and coming back. And then there are times that he's chased out in the desert. He's hiding out in caves because hundreds and thousands of people are trying to come and kill him. He's thinking, I'm the king of Israel? I'm living in a cave hiding from everybody. This is not the dream and the destiny that I had envisioned when God spoke these things to me. He even had his son. He knows that his sons are supposed to sit on the throne after him. Well, what happens with his sons? One of his sons tries to kill him. Throws a rebellion. Tries to kill him and his family. And once again, he's on the run hiding in caves. What's playing out in his life? David finds himself in pit after pit again and again and again. But he writes these things when he's in the pit. Some of the most beautiful psalms come from the times when David is at the weakest moment in his life. In Psalm 119, he says, My comfort in my suffering is this Your promise preserves my life. That's the comfort in the suffering, is that God has a promise to you, and that promise is what preserves you. In Psalm 18, he wrote, In my distress, I call to the Lord. I cried to my God for help and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. See, David walked in his destiny because when he was in the pit, he didn't give up on the dream. He called out to the God who could save him. Jonah is one of my favorite guys in the Bible, too. They're all my favorites. I say that about everybody. But I love how he's a prophet called by God to go and to preach repentance to the the city of Nineveh, which is a horribly wicked, wicked city. And being a good Jewish man, he buys a one-way ticket, the exact opposite way of Nineveh, because he wants Nineveh to be destroyed by God. He doesn't want them to repent and to be made right with God. He wants them destroyed. He's deliberately disobeying God's call in his life. So as he's on the boat, you guys know the story, the storm comes up and he realizes, like, this storm is happening because of me. So he tells the sailors, throw me into the ocean and the storm is going to calm. He's like, Jesus accepted, like, I'm going to die. I disobeyed God. It's over for me. Just throw me in the ocean. So we know he throws him in the ocean and what happens? The whale comes and swallows him up. And even when Jonah had deliberately disobeyed God and ran away from his calling, God didn't kill him. God didn't revoke the calling that was on his life. God just let him sit in a pit for a while. He let him sit in the pit of that that whale for three days. Now that's a pit. I'd rather be in Joseph's pit than Jonah's pit any day. But after, this guy has a hard heart. It takes him three days before he's like, okay, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> it takes me about three seconds being in a whale. But I'm like, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. But for three days, he has a hard heart and God just lets him sit there, lets him sit in that pit. And after three days, he repents. And then what happens is God restores him. He takes this whale, <laughs> takes him all the way up to the shore of Nineveh and has a whale puke him up. And there he is. He's right back doing what God had called him to do after all this time. And this is the amazing thing about God, is your pit will become the vehicle to your destiny. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, I'll say that again. Your pit will become the vehicle to your destiny. Yeah. If God can use a disobedient prophet and a nauseous whale to accomplish his plan for their life, then God can do anything. And that's what you need to know, is that when you're in the pit, whether it's your doing, it's your own sin that's caused it, or whether it's someone else's done something, or whether it's just natural events, it hasn't disqualified or taken away God's calling and his dream and his plan for your life. He's the God of resurrection. He's the God of redemption. He's the God of restoration. And he will use a willing vessel to accomplish his plans and purposes. There's nothing that you can do that will disqualify you from God there's no gift that he will take away from you. Some of the people have gone through the most incredibly painful, difficult moments of life. Those are the ones who God has now taken and propelled them into the fullness of their destiny using that horrible thing that happened to them. Yeah. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. What does it say God uses? God uses. Yeah, we think God uses good things, but God uses everything. It doesn't say that God causes everything, because we know that He doesn't. There's sin in this world. We make sinful decisions, others make sinful decisions. This world is cursed, and there's horrible things that happen inside of it. But it doesn't matter what it is that has happened. God will still walk you into the fullness of his destiny and his dream for your life. And he will use the hurt, the suffering, all of the things that have happened to you to be a part of what takes you into the fullness of your destiny. God is undefeatable. No mess is too big for him. No sin is too strong. Nothing can overcome. God has the ability to save, to restore, and to redeem all things. And he can walk you into the fullness of your destiny regardless of the pit that you find yourself in this morning. And here's the other thing. Not only is God able to deliver you from the pit, not only is he able to use the pit to get you to your destiny, but when you're in the pit, Jesus is with you in that pit. You know, Jesus knows what it's like to be in a pit. Company is always good. When you're going through something tough, it's nice to have company no matter who it is. But when it's someone that's gone through the same thing that you're going through, that understands where you're at, that knows what you need to continue on, that's a lot better. And that's what we have in Jesus. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be in the pit. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before he's arrested. He's praying because he knows what's coming. And it says that he's so distraught by it, as he's crying out to God and he's saying, God, if there's any way possible, would you let this pass from me? If there's any other way that this can happen. And it says that he's so disturbed that he's sweating blood. He says, but nonetheless, let your will be done, not mine. And so then he's arrested, he's beaten, He's tortured. He's nailed to a cross. Every friend, every disciple that he had have all abandoned him. He's completely on his own. And then the worst part is that on the cross, he takes on the full guilt for the sin of all humanity. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. So here's what that means. If you feel like there's some sin that you've committed that is so bad that it's disqualified you, It hasn't. Jesus took that sin upon himself. He's paid the price for that sin so that that sin is no longer held against you and you don't have to walk with the guilt and the condemnation and the shame of it anymore. All you have to do is cry out to God, repent, like Jonah and the whale. And say, God, forgive me. God, restore me. I'm coming after you. I'll be obedient to whatever it is that you've called me to and he will take you into the fullness of God's destiny for you. And maybe if you're in a pit and It's because of something that somebody else has done and you feel like they're blocking the dream. Or you feel like because someone isn't giving you the favor that you need or because someone's opposing you that that now the dream can't become a reality. God's stronger than any person. And Jesus knows what it's like to suffer because of someone else. He's there in the pit with you. Maybe you feel like there are natural circumstances that are a result of this fallen world that have put you in a pit and have counted out the promise that God has for you. Maybe you think, I'm too old now. Too much time has passed. Maybe you think, I don't have the finances. Or or maybe you think that I'm not smart enough. I don't have the abilities. Whatever it might be, you serve the God who nothing is impossible for. Joseph was a hundred, not Joseph, Abraham was a hundred years old when he had his first son. God can do that. What can't he do? And most importantly, we know God can do anything because when Jesus was in the pit, when he was lowered into the grave, he didn't stay there. Having paid the price for our sins, he then went on to defeat death and he was raised up out of the pit and he's seated at the right hand of our Father in heaven, interceding on our behalf. And what's he praying for, for us? He's looking at you and he sees you in the pit and he says, I know what they need because I've been there. So God, would you pour out faith inside of them? God, would you be their comfort now? Would you be the shield that's around them? God, they need restoration over here. Would you bring restoration in their life? God, would you restore joy to them? He knows what you need. He's been there. And he has the power to do it because he has defeated death. He can get you out of any pit because he's the guy that got out of the pit of the grave. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Close your eyes and we're going to spend a moment praying. And God, would you speak to our hearts right now? Would you search us and know us? Father, if if we're going through that pit right now, would you show us? Maybe you don't even recognize that you're in a pit because it's become the way that you live your life. It's become the new normal for you. Right now, God's saying to you, don't accept that anymore. Don't believe those lies. Don't give up that dream. Don't disqualify yourself from that destiny, but allow me to come and be your salvation. And this morning, if you're in that pit and you know it, and you need something from God, every eyes closed, would you raise your hand with me right now because I want to pray with you that God would move on your behalf, that God would restore joy, that he would restore hope and faith to you. Thank you. Thank you all across the room. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you a broken people but a people with a promise. A promise that's bigger than us. A calling on our life that goes beyond us. And, Father, we need you to move miraculously on our behalf to enable us to walk into the fullness of the destiny that you have called us to. So we pray now, Father, that you would restore the dream. Father, that you would move on every heart to silence the voice of the enemy that they would no longer believe the lies that he speaks to them, but they would believe that you are the God who rescues, that though they might be in a pit, that you are the God who is there with them, holding them and sustaining them in the palm of your hand. Father, would you take away guilt and shame for being in the pit? Father, would you increase your grace? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? And Jesus, we pray that the reality of your presence with us would become the most real thing in our lives, that there be that tangible sense of your presence with us. And God, we pray that for all the hurt and all the suffering that we've gone through, that that would propel us into the destiny that you've called us to. Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. You are the great and mighty king, the one who reigns and rules over all things. And we submit ourselves this morning to your plan for us. And God, we lift up our eyes to you, the one who our help comes from. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.